Hello and welcome to another episode of Stroke FM. We are very happy to be here and we are going to talk to you about plumbing. Specifically, the cleaning of plumbing or this episode's title, Pipe Cleaners. I am joined today with my awesome colleagues. Hi there, I'm Tess Fitzpatrick, Stroke Fellow. Happy to be back. Hey Dr. Kosserveni, I'm uh, Ryan. I'm one of the uh, neurology residents here in Toronto. Awesome, and I'm Human Kosserveni, one of the Stroke Doctors. We're all in Toronto. We are going to talk to you about all the cool EVT stuff. Um, we're not going to get into all of the nitty-gritty details, but we're going to give you a flavor of how this field came about and sort of where it's going. And hopefully, uh, it's going to be it's going to shed light into many many cool things for years to come. Maybe I'll just kick us off by talking about the fact that the concept of going into someone's head and trying to take a clot out is not new. It goes back to the sort of mid two thousands, maybe late two thousands. And the, the concept of thrombectomy at that time came about with the so-called first-generation thrombectomy devices. So kind of in the 2008 timeline, approximately. Those trials were usually simple trials. There were, they didn't have a lot of patients. As I said, they were, the, they were using devices that were of the first generation. And not only were the devices first generation, but just the angiography technique of people being comfortable with going up into the head and taking stuff out was not as, as much comfort as there is now. In addition to that, treatment was not as acute as it is now. So for example, in some of those early trials where they used the first generation uh, devices, they were doing treatments within the first eight hours. And what they showed was they were able to open things, they were able to get vessels open, but the trouble with that was that patients were actually dying. When it comes time to the so-called second-generation devices, they still kind of treated them within eight hours. Some of the, the, the study I'm talking about here, the Penumbra Pivotal trial, they didn't uh, essentially randomize. Again, cannulization occurred in a high amount of people. They were able to open that pipe. However, the outcomes were quite bad. So 25% of patients had decent outcomes, but, but all-cause mortality, for example, was like 33%. Complication rate of about of about thirteen percent, with about two point four being about serious complications. Intracerebral hemorrhage, almost a quarter, a little bit more than a quarter, had some degree of uh, intracerebral hemorrhage, with uh, about half of that, about eleven percent, being symptomatic. So that's all to say that the concept of going in and seeing uh, the possibility of getting a clot out has been with us for a long time. And the challenges have been that the devices were first generation, technical skill and aptitude, in addition to kind of waiting longer to go in. Then there was a signal through another trial, IMS-3, that in fact, there may not be, as, as, as the situation is not as good as we thought. And, not, and at that time, these patients were still getting TPA. But the challenge was that some of the thrombectomy attempts were being done in patients who we didn't even know had a large vessel occlusion. And so, that trial got stopped early. And of course, looking back, you would say, how would you do an EVT trial, right? Where, where you don't even know there's a large vessel occlusion and you've gone in and trying to do something? Well, those are, were, were the other kind of things that didn't make a lot of sense. But fast forward all of that to uh, devices getting better, using better technique, knowing that there is a large vessel occlusion or specifically, you know, a proximal large vessel occlusion, kind of synonymous with each other, but essentially it has to be proximal. Um, and then we start to come to the time of 
bringing it all together to around the 2004-2011 timeline where another trial was done called Mr. Rescue or MR Rescue, which was done with MRI. And at that time, again, a lot of the patients had TPA on board versus thrombectomy. Again, kind of within the eight-hour time window, various NIH ranges were included, and they again had old devices. So then we come to the the pipe cleaner trial of the, like what is it the the first pipe cleaning trial, Mister Clean. Yeah, so Mister Clean um, was a multi-center randomized trial in uh, sixteen centers in the uh, Netherlands. They compared patients who received TPA with EVT versus just TPA alone. Uh, people were treated within six hours. Everyone had an NIHSS of uh, two or greater. Um, and 90% of patients in both arms received IVTPA, which I think is a very important point to point out. Yeah, why is that? Why is that important, though? Yeah, like why is that important? So, well, you want to make sure there's an equal balance of treatment effect in both groups. If one group received a disproportionate amount of TPA compared to another, then you couldn't attribute your intervention to uh, to the intervention alone, as it could be an imbalance of the groups. Uh, so that's very important, actually, that both groups uh, have an equal balance and are very similar in terms of characteristics and in terms of the medical therapy that both groups received. Kind of makes you think about the, the TPA, like, do we need it? Do we not need it? And kind of like maybe it talks about the evidence we have, right? Like, I guess what I'm saying is like, sometimes when we think about these thrombectomy trials, um, it gets lost in the wash that certainly all of the data we have, a large proportion of patients got TPA. So we don't yet have evidence to say, even though we're about to talk about how, how thrombectomy definitely worked and even worked in the past, but now works better because of how fast we're going in and safer devices, et cetera, that, that in the early time period, that TPA is still on board. Yeah, definitely. And I think part, part of that is like in Mr. Queen um, patients, I think were um, treated within six hours. And so that's, again, as you pointed out, a difference from some of the earlier trials where they were enrolling people hours later and obviously would be out of even the safe TPA window. So a lot of those patients in the earlier trials would not have even been candidates necessarily for, for TPA. And uh, that also highlights the point that, uh, which you also alluded to, that um, acting quickly and moving as fast as you can is important, not just for administering a good uh you know, door to needle time, but also uh, door to puncture time. It's just as important to move quickly. The other thing to highlight here and alluding to what Dr. Kosrovani was talking about earlier, um, in this trial, 82% of the intervention arm received uh, mechanical thrombectomy with retrievable stents. Uh, so an Im improvement in the previous uh, methodology uh, from earlier trials. Uh, there was no aspects cut off, um, but uh, they allowed for an aspects of less than um, or equal to six. Their primary outcome was ultimately modified Rankin score at 90 days. Uh, they excluded people who um, ultimately had hemorrhage, um, blood pressures over 185 on 110, uh, aberrancies in glucose, uh, platelets less than 90. Um, and ultimately, uh, the, the results uh, from this very pragmatic trial uh, revealed uh, very good recanalization rates, 75% uh, compared to uh, almost 33%. MRS at 90 days in the EVT with the TPA group was 3 compared to uh, 4 
uh, in the other group um, and the odds ratio of um, statistically significant improvement in functional independence was 1.67. Uh, so at 90 days, um, more patients had ultimately an MRS of 0 to 2, 33% compared to 19% uh, in just the medical arm alone. Uh, so what a remarkable trial it was to demonstrate uh, that. At 24 hours even, they saw an effect uh, ultimately with the NIHSS at 24 hours. Uh, 13 in the EVT plus TPA uh, treatment cohort compared to just in the medical cohort alone with TPA alone of 16. Uh, so really remarkable numbers from uh, Mr. Clean. And, you know, this really, this trial was among many, and I must highlight uh, the ESCAPE trial, which had many wonderful Canadian contributors. Uh, so Canada had a really remarkable contribution to uh, the many uh, trials at this time that uh, Tess is now uh, going to talk about. So after Mr. Clean, um, in 2015, a uh, number of other uh, positive randomized control trials were published uh, for uh, EVT in uh, ischemic stroke with a large vessel occlusion. So um, Escape, Extend IA, Swift Prime, uh, Revascat, um, those w and Mr. Clean were the, the first five. And then uh, a little bit later, there was the Thrace uh, trial as well, and, uh, which was positive. And these are kind of the, bi the big six, I guess. Uh, and, and without getting into the details of each individual trial, they, they did differ a little bit. Um, the, the, I think an important difference is that uh, all of them were basically enrolling patients from um, zero to six hours, except Revascat went up to eight hours, and Escape importantly went up to twelve hours, and this gave us some of the first early information about um, patients who could be per perhaps treated beyond the six-hour time window and appropriate selection of those patients, because they also in Escape used uh, uh, imaging in order to evaluate collaterals and uh, determined which patients would be perhaps uh, better candidates for EVT and would be anticipated to do better based on having moderate or good, good collaterals. And so some of these trials looked at CTA uh, and multiphase for collaterals and um, some of the others uh, only looked at CT, CTA like, like Mr. Clean and um, perfusion imaging was used uh, in Extend IA and, and Swift Prime. So they used slightly different imaging modalities, but bottom line, um, they um, brought patients quickly to the EVT suite. And if they were able to get TPA as well, they were treated with TPA standard of care um, in addition to the EVT. And the NIH cutoffs were slightly different um, too. Uh, so we can kind of have a look at our show notes and we'll put up some, some links uh, where you can look at the details between the trials. But bottom line is, um, after all of these trials were published, a um, really important uh, paper that you should read is from the, the Hermes collaboration, which pulled together the results from the, those first five trials in 2015. Um, Thrace wasn't published yet, so it wasn't included in that. And that really looked at, at the pooled results from all of the, the trials, because when you looked at them individually, the number needed to treat for um, kind of varied between, uh, I think Ryan was saying it was 7.1 in Mr. Clean, um, and then it, it was as low as 3.2 in uh, Extend IA. And um, 
that's uh, when you pull it together, the overall treatment effect, basically, when you're looking at the uh, what's important, which is the ability for endovascular thrombectomy to reduce disability by at least one level on MRS, um, is overall treatment effect was number needed to treat of 2.6, which is amazing. Um, uh, and the, the numbers I was giving earlier were the number needed to treat for one person to achieve additional person to receive functional independence. So um, it's pretty amazing in terms of the treatment effect. And it found that overall there was no increased rate of bleeding in, uh, for the EVT-treated people. And uh, there was a trend towards reduction in mortality at 90 days. So huge, huge uh, change in the stroke world after uh, these trials were published. I was going to say that we're not talking about Hermes, the 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 leather company or the the fancy company in France. <laughs> we're talking about their Hermes Collab Collaborative, uh, which yes. uh, that looked at the meta analysis. So that's a key figure that you're going to talk about. Um, mm -hmm. It's a cool, it's a cool, uh, it's a cool name, right? What is it? The, just just going to look it up here. It's like the Herald of the Gods, protector of protector of travelers, thieves, merchants respectively so so even 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 hermes the god was quite pragmatic actually it's like a pragmatic uh, assessment of the of the evt trials yes one of the <laughs> cleverest and most mischievous of the olympian gods is what google tells me yes and of course the olympics are canceled for this year but that's still okay we are going to continue telling you about pipe cleaning so guys we didn't talk about something interesting which is so one of the things that these trials all shared was still kind of the timing so can you guys maybe ryan expand like which window are we talking about? Because maybe just give us a little treatise uh, before we further talk about the, the god of uh, the, the collaborative. Um, of where, what window are we talking about? Are there two windows? And, and we'll get to does time even matter, which is a bigger deal. Like time doesn't matter, maybe. So these early trials uh, were, as it implies, uh, we're looking at the early window uh, when people were presenting with, with an onset of stroke. Um, not a late window. And, you know, this kind of uh, fast-forwarding to our present-day understanding, uh, you know, we, we do know there's two windows, an early and a late. Um, and there are, every unit of time is essentially different for every single brain uh, based on perfusion characteristics, based on collateral circulation. And so these early trials really only focus on the early window, but the late window really this is an interesting question um, about what or can people benefit in the late window and we'll talk about some more recent trials that do explore uh, the benefit of endovascular therapy in the in the late window. So just for the audience when you say early window it's within the first six hours. That's right the first six hours. Tess you were going to tell us a little bit about what the collaborative showed and there's this key figure which we're going to put in hopefully in the show notes that talks about thrombectomy was beneficial across all age groups. Yeah, so I um, all age groups. So that's important because we don't we're not ageist, and just because someone's uh, older doesn't mean that they won't necessarily benefit from EVT. Um, and also in terms of aspect score, so we look uh, in general a lot of these trials included um, patients with a higher aspect score, but not all of them had an aspects cutoff and. Actually, we know we tend to choose people with aspects of six or higher for EBT, and they do tend to do better. But there is some um, signal for improvement even in patients with a lower aspects, and that actually was shown in some other subsequent uh, trials. There's one in the I think in the Lancet that was published in 2018 
which uh, also by the Hermes uh, Hermes collaborators, um, which which still showed that EVT achieved a better outcome than standard medical therapy, um, including people who had infarcts affecting more than a third of the MCA territory or aspects less than six, even though these patients did have a higher rate of symptomatic intracranial hemorrhage, but that benefit might still be there. Um, but still, the greatest benefit is in the higher aspects. And uh, both patients with who received TPA or didn't TPA, get TPA ha- had a benefit as well. And um, those with um, proximal occlusions involving M1s, but, um, or the kind of distal ICA and the M2s, especially um, the functional kind of M1s. And finally, another important piece is that patients with um, higher NIH tended to show that they uh, had a greater improvement, but even those with a lower NIH, even uh, less than 10, there there was um, some signal towards uh, benefiting from EBT, but this hasn't been studied as rigorously, uh, how patients do with uh, the low NIHSS and those with even further distal occlusions and those super low aspect scores, as, as I mentioned, even though there's a suggestion that they still might improve with EBT. Yeah. And what's cool is that, you know, at the end of the day, still about 1,200 and, you know, 1,200 patients, just to, just shy of 1,300. You know, when you compare to other trials like cardiology and things like that, the, the numbers are still small, but, but it's still a sizable number of patients uh, that were there. And I do want to point out uh, kind of what you guys already alluded to, which is the the TPA thing. Uh, again, in the in the in the early window, six hours. So within thrombectomy, with these great early trials that really pioneered and made this become standard of care as of 2015, um, a lot of patients had TPA on board, a lot of them. And so maybe uh, that, in fact, is another question that is going to be looked at, obviously, in the trials that are coming of the of the 1,300 patients, roughly. About a thousand had TPA on board. So, uh, looking forward, Ryan, like when you look at this kind of conglomerate, uh, godlike data, which is fan- like we love this uh, this paper. Um, what are some of these categories that you think are going to shape the future of EVT that were that are going to be informed from these earlier trials? Yeah. So ultimately. These earlier trials, um, you know, they don't quite address the question of um, people who may progress slow. Um, We can see that um, people can progress slow with respect to a completed infarct. Can you you spell that out for us? So progress slow meaning that the brain is dying less or dying slower? Or what are you referring to and kind of what are the factors you think? You know, I think in, in all stroke, you know, there's early ischemia that's, that's permanent and irreversible. But uh, there is a, a percentage of tissue that may be hypoperfused, but still recruiting flow uh, from adjacent areas through the collateral circulation. And so these patients who ultimately are able to recruit uh, this additional flow from other areas um, ultimately may salvage um, or progress more slow uh, with respect to completing uh, that infarct that they're presenting with. And so this idea actually is that maybe time, the, the TPA window even, or the six hour window that these, that these trials are alluding to may actually not be fixed in time as we measure it, but rather there may be a very unique entity of brain time that is dependent on a patient's unique vasculature and capacity to recruit adjacent tissue. 
Um, and, and this is, you know, evidenced by, by the fact that there are some people who do present late and can benefit even still uh, from endovascular therapy. Yeah, and I'll just point out a couple of things. One is that we talked about the ASPECT score. This, was, this stands for the Alberta Stroke Program Early CT Score. There's a great website if you, if you search the word on Google ASPECTS and Calgary, and you'll find their website. You can even certify online. So our colleagues in Calgary have done a great job in not only pioneering this scale and using it, but also you can actually get certified, and it's key to running a code stroke. So we definitely um, you know, uh, emphasize that uh, all of our listeners who are, who are doing acute stroke care uh, definitely certify in aspects and, and do it through the website. The second part is you use the word recruit. Um, and so I guess the thing is sometimes, you know, you just don't, they don't got them, right? Like they just, they just don't got the collaterals. What, what, do, you, what do you say about that? Yeah, you know, it's fascinating. You know, this is a really interesting area of research too that I think we all should be thinking about is who who is able to recruit and who isn't and what predisposing factors enable one to to do that? Well, well, well one would be they just don't have it, though, right? Yeah, and why why, why do some people have good collaterals mm-hmm. and some people don't? Are there genetic factors? Um, are there other uh, vascular risk factors that help modify whether or not people have or do not have um, these collaterals? I don't know if we know the answer to that at present time, but it's we're seeing now that it, it's such an important uh, covariate in how people do in the context of acute stroke. Definitely. I think that's sometimes why um, we, the older people who maybe are smokers and have bad carotid disease and uh, somehow their stroke has progressed really slowly on uh, on imaging and, and it's shocking, but they manage to sometimes do really well and hold on with those collaterals that probably have had years and years to develop in the context of uh, vascular disease and other risk factors. And sometimes young people come in are super healthy and unfortunately progress much more quickly because um, they have healthier vessels. But then there must be some genetic link as well and and, uh, just the way you're wired because uh, those aren't hard and fast rules and certainly you can see vascular paths progress quickly as well sometimes and young people sometimes hold on and for hours longer than you would expect, right? Yeah, so what you guys all getting about is the concept that the that uh, you know, time may not be the important factor. That it's about the tissue health, tissue perfusion, and that kind of thing. And uh, and and that's a good segue to move on to the two fantastic trials that came out towards the end of 2017 and into the early part of uh, part of 2018, um, which are the uh, Dawn and Diffuse trials. Yeah, the, these trials were fa- were fascinating, you know, because they. They built on the very questions that uh, the earlier trials raised, the questions of, of perfusion, of collaterals, uh, of the idea that perhaps people progress at different times or at different rates. And so these trials ultimately looked at an extended window. Um, each one took a different window. One was 6 to 16 hours uh, in the diffuse trial, and, and the other was in uh, 6 to 24 hours in the dawn trial. Yeah, and uh, both of them, I think an important thing to mention is had very strict criteria in terms of patient selection and inclusion. So uh, the MRS uh, to be uh, eligible for inclusion was um, less than or equal to two for diffuse three and less than or equal to one in Dawn. So these were like patients who were pretty good before their stroke. They didn't... uh, have uh, you know anyone involved uh, included who had an MRS of three or higher? Uh, 
so I think that that's important in terms of patient selection. Um, and, and both used uh, uh, perfusion imaging to, in order to um, select patients appropriately as well. So you, we can put up as well in the show notes um, a link so you can look at the exact criteria. But basically there had to be a big mismatch on uh, CT or MR perfusion imaging, um, which showed a small, small infarct core volume and and a big mismatch volume, suggesting that there's a big penumbra to, to save. And Dawn actually had even stricter rules in terms of a clinical imaging mismatch based on age and uh, the NIH score. Yeah, I guess one of the nice things about diffuse is that it, it allowed for a bit of a larger infarct volume. Um, mm-hmm. And it uh, created this really interesting notion of a ratio of infarcted tissue to um, penumbral tissue, where you can actually um, it, they established a cutoff of 1.8, which, you know, I, I think we're all using now a lot in in our assessment of acute stroke. Um, and, you know, it's nice because it expands the the size of stroke to potentially a larger group of, of people whom would meet this type of inclusion criteria in the general population. Yeah, absolutely. And and another important thing to mention is that in, in uh, both trials, uh, I'll large proportion of people who were included were uh, wake-up strokes. And that's also really applicable to things that we see every day in eMERGE. Yeah, so um, maybe uh, just to um, summarize, then essentially these trials opened up the window of thrombectomy treatment between 6 to 24 hours, still showing tremendous benefit to patients. Uh, They use sophisticated imaging called CT perfusion. They look quantitatively at the core and the penumbra, and they try to essentially have a range of targets. But at the end of the day, they use fairly small cores, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. Which again shows the importance of the correct patient selection for this extended window. Excellent. And then there's a there's a nice little kind of comparison of looking at the early stuff and the old stuff, kind of suggesting that just kind of physiologically, the time may not be the factor here. Yeah, and I think that goes back to what we were saying that. it's all about how fast an individual progresses, all about their collaterals. Um, and in some cases, it's also just an unknown time of last seen well. And perhaps it was actually an hour before they woke up rather than um, an hour after they went to bed. And so previously, those patients wouldn't have been included and or eligible for treatment and now could potentially uh, receive treatment and do really well. Because both of those uh, studies, the results showed were amazing, right? So in uh, they looked at the 90-day uh, rate of kind of functional independence for Dawn, which was defined as a MRS of zero, 0 to 2. And they it was a huge difference. So the treatment group, it was 49% achieved this versus 13% in the um, standard therapy group. And so basically number needed to treat of 3. And for diffuse 3, it was very, very similar, uh, almost... Um, the exact same numbers and their number needed to treat was 3.6. So incredible results, which have, um, I, I actually was at the European, the ESOC um, conference in Prague when um, Dawn was, the, the results were initially kind of presented and I've never been in a room filled with so much excitement. There was like a standing ovation. Um, it, was, it was amazing because this has really changed uh, stroke care. That's awesome. There were standing ovation, eh? is that right? That's amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. That is an incredible feeling when the community comes together and 
you know, cherishes uh, this type of achievement. It's super cool. So um, well, we, we want to end on a high note, but we will also say that, you know, as, as you can appreciate, the number needed to treat varies in these trials. And it probably, the, the more pragmatic the trial, the larger the number needed to treat, the more stringent the criteria, and this is, again, fairly commonsensical, uh, the more the number needed to treat actually gets better, but but selection becomes the issue. And even with these late window trials, the challenge, which is, thank God, that's why we have a job, right, guys? Uh, is that <laughs> is that you know about seventy percent of these patients still kind of fall at, fall not precisely within trial criteria, and we have to make clinical decisions to uh, to essentially look after them. But as you said, Tess, the cool part is now we can treat people that in the past would have been like, sorry, there's nothing I can do, can't get TPA, can't get thrown back to me, see you later. And now with fancy imaging, or I would say the word advanced imaging, we can actually do something for these folks. And we see good results. Exactly. And, and but I think you, you nailed it. I mean, we, we still have to make sure there's a clinical component and we're choosing the right patients for this and not causing harm by picking patients who otherwise would not have um, met criteria for the trials and, and would not be uh, the same kind of lower risk uh, for these um, interventions, right? Fantastic. So I think that's a good kind of quick overview of thrombectomy and the early window, the late window, some of the considerations and kind of where we came from and where we're going, I guess. Um, and I think that that's the, the good summary for the anterior circulation, but I think we should, just before we wrap up, touch ah, quickly on the posterior circulation. The basilar. Yes, the, the slight sort of important. The basilar nader, the basinator. <laughs> Does that make sense? You know, I think we've all seen cases where, you know, it, it can go either way with the basilar. Um, certainly, we all dread the basilar when we see it, but... You know, EVT offers that, that window of hope, although, you know, there's not as much evidence at present time. Um, we have seen the success stories. Uh, so I think, you know, there's something, something to be had here and to be studied from uh, looking at endovascular therapy for basilar occlusion. For sure. And a lot of those, those trials that we just talked about didn't include basilars. And it's yeah. difficult to study because, uh, in terms of randomized controlled trials, because it's really hard to randomize uh, someone and tell them that we, they're not going to receive EVT uh, and really they might progress to being locked in and, and dying if, if nothing is done. And so it's really hard to study it, I think, in a randomized way. There's the BASICS trial and the BEST trial. Um, BASICS hasn't been published yet, but the BEST trial was actually published, I think, two months ago or so. Um, and and ba the BEST trial didn't really... Uh, show us much. It was terminated early because of a super high crossover rate and poor recruitment as expected. So um, I think we're going to keep doing EVT on these patients because what is the alternative? But it, it, it would be nice to, to have more data and I don't know if we'll ever get it. And ultimately what may be helpful here is having a historical cohort. Sometimes when we can't randomize, we could maybe employ a historical cohort in the past that never received uh, EVT for a basilar occlusion and compare their outcomes to present day uh, outcomes with EVT. Maybe that would be a solution and an idea for any trialists who are listening on the line. <laughs> That's right, all you trialists. Yes, <laughs> get to work. All the trialists, all the trialists. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to burst into song? <laughs> uh, we have to. 
All right. What a great episode as an overview. And, uh, you know, if you want to know more, uh, definitely read the original articles and, and uh, do a deeper dive into this topic and uh, hit us up on Twitter at some point once we have that account up and going and ask us questions that way we could try to answer. Yeah. But, uh, hashtag pipe cleaners. Hashtag pipe cleaners. Exactly. Absolutely. Thank goodness for that pipe cleaner. That's right. And thank goodness that we can now do something about this. So that's a great overview. And uh, thank you for joining us on this uh, episode of Stroke FM. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Dr. Kostropani. Signing off. Arrivederci. <laughs> Ciao.